Welcome back to Chasing Squirrels Podcast. I'm really thrilled to have the guest that I'm talking with this afternoon for, for a bunch of reasons. I've said before that setting up conversations for this podcast isn't, it's not a linear matter. It, it really isn't. It's the, the people that either I feel a cool connection with or I'm fascinated by their work or they've reached out to me, usually from the point that we have that first conversation, it can be a week, two weeks. Some of the combos I've had were sort of three months in the making. And, and whatever we're trying to uh, wrestle through, it's usually, it comes down to scheduling. It comes down to our obligations. And, and the, the fantastic thing is when, when you hit that sweet spot and you finally find the time, you go for it. And I'll say that's a, a particularly, uh, particularly good thing with my guest this afternoon because she is busy. Um, Emily Fitzpatrick, she's part of the EdTech team. She, if you look at her resume of stuff, either on the EdTech site or just you know her from being involved in EdTech keynotes, presentations, conferences, and sessions, she's deep. She's deep in the tech. She's deep in Google tools. And if you've had, you know, the pleasure of being in one of her sessions, she's an incredible share and collaborator. So my context with Emily is that I got to meet her at one of the EdTech summits uh, earlier, mid, I think mid last year. And, you know, I got to sit in on one of her sessions where we talked about Flipgrid and we talked about using Google Slides. So uh, I felt like there was a great conversation to be had here, especially in this case, is that I was fascinated by teachers working with EdTech teams. So that's kind of the leap off point. Emily, what do you think? You throw down a little bit more of an intro for yourself? Over to you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Um, so yeah, in my role right now, I'm the director for professional development at EdTech Team, which is a very long title for I get the opportunity to work with educators, um, not only just here in Ontario, but also across Canada and across the globe, and really help them find their own potential and their own comfort with integrating technology into the classroom um, so that their students can have a deeper understanding of the concepts and be able to apply it outside of those classroom walls. Uh, before I started with EdTech Team, I was in the classroom. I had the honor of teaching at Orangeville District Secondary School, so just north of Toronto. And there I had the chance to teach math, computer science, and English as a second language. And sometimes all of those kind of mixed in as one course too. Um, yeah, I've had some experience Across the pond over in England, I taught um, at Cleethorpes Academy over in the UK for a year, where that was my very first teaching assignment by myself. Like I got my own classroom. It was not just the practicum piece from Teachers College. And that was like a crazy experience because you were going into it being like, I've got my own classroom. Yes. And then you're like, Oh, I have my own classroom. What am I going exactly. to do with it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then throw in all of the different like words between like Canadian English and British English and not really knowing the culture over there. But it was a really neat experience. And I was able to take all of that learning. And then when I had the opportunity to have my own classes, my own courses here in Ontario, um, leaping from that um, experience over in the UK and bringing it back here. And then that's kind of when I started getting into this ed tech world. We 
um, at Upper Grand had the opportunity to work with Google Apps for Education. And it was available right when I first started in the classroom, which was a lot of fun. And the students were really excited to just dive in and give it a go. It's it's it strikes me that the the ed tech position is one of those jobs that inside the classroom we say stuff like we're trying to train you for a job that doesn't exist yet. Like if I think back in my career in teaching, and I haven't been teaching that long, so I'm in my 13th year, but if I go back, let's say to my first year teaching, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if your job existed. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I would have been able to say, now I'll say existed to me. My context could have been blind, could not have overlapped, but I'm not quite sure that if I were talking with students about, let's say, becoming a teacher, that I would have necessarily said, oh, and by the way, you know, one path that's um, connected with teaching is you could become sort of like a an educational consultant for one of the largest uh, information uh, companies in the world, kind of connected that way, like kind of doing Google things. I don't think... It kind of existed. Do you, do you ever kind of pause and think about that you have sort of a future job? Does definitely, that make sense? Yeah, no, it definitely does. And yeah, like even when I started in the classroom or going back to teacher's college, I didn't think that these existed, nor did I think that um, some of the events or some of the opportunities that we have as educators right now even existed. Um, I remember when I first used Twitter, uh, as an example, in university, and it was like, I'm going out to like the campus bar. And I thought that was how you use Twitter. And then fast forward three-ish, four-ish years ago, where at the BIT conference, actually in Niagara, I had the opportunity to be like, oh, this is what Twitter's for. This is how you actually get connected with people. But that wasn't even in my realm. And definitely this job was not something that I could have foresee when I decided to become a teacher way back when. I like the concept of, you know, if we play with time traveling for a little bit. So if we go back, I guess if you go back to when the possibility was first presented to you to sort of check out this job, um, if if you think about your, your on-ramp to that moment, could you have done, I guess it's you talking to yourself X number of years ago, would you have made any suggestions? So would you make any tweaks or was it just nice and natural transitioning into this position? So if you could go back and talk to yourself just before you're about to consider checking out the ed tech, um, were you coming in as equipped as you possibly could have been? Or was it kind of like, you're, I'm taking a risk here. I'm going to go for this because I, I really want it. Definitely a risk. Um, I started with EdTech team after um, some of my Twitter PLN, um, James Peterson and Chris Webb out of Montreal, we had connected online and they're like, hey, you should come present at this conference. And I was like, well, I've been to one of them. And that was like, all of the cool all-stars were there. Like I remember um, the summit that I actually went to was with Jenny McGuera and she keynoted that Ontario summit that year. And I remember sitting there being like, what? You can do that in the classroom with your students? <laughs> and then when James and Chris were like, no, you got to come up, you got to present, um, just share what you're doing. I remember sitting there being like, I don't think I'm doing anything cool. Like, I think I'm just kind of making by. And I, I think that's what I would have told myself is just 
continue to take that risk and continue to put yourself out there and collaborate because the more that you're able to share outward, the more you're able to bring back inward to your classroom. You know what? That frame of mind is is awesome because, you know, you, you saying it's the noticing. Do you know what I mean? Like having someone that you respect in your PLN kind of noticing that you're doing a thing. And I've, I've heard time and time again, and sometimes it's, it's, it's in relation to this podcast, you know, I'll approach on like, Hey, I'd love to talk to you about some of the work you're doing. And there's, there's inevitably a part of that conversation where it flows to like, I'm kind of surprised that, that you want to talk about this. It's just kind of what I do. And you start to realize that the individuals that are saying, it's just what I do. I've come to find those are the people I want to talk to the people that just kind of make it kind of plain you know, like not plain in its in its energy, but kind of plain like anybody could kind of do this. Sure, I'll talk about it. What was it like going and doing some of those first talks or keynotes or basically where you got out of your classroom and you had to start showing what you know? Uh, to be completely honest, my very first one, I tried to kind of forget about. <laughs> it was not my finest moment. And it was really, I wanted to share what I was doing in my classroom, but I I was so caught up with what I was doing in my classroom that I didn't present it in a way that was reachable to that audience. So it was like I was teaching, I don't know, like advanced math to my like grade nine students. And they were like, what is going on? Um, but Mark Carbone was in that session along with a couple others. And they came up to me after and they were like, hey, you know what? That, those are pretty cool ideas. Keep running with it. And that encouragement was huge. Um, and then I realized that, hey, I don't have to share absolutely everything that I'm doing because to fit that in kind of a 60-minute session was very, very difficult. And I could break it down to kind of those bite-sized pieces that we always give our students of, hey, this is like my take on Google Forms and formative assessment and how I've used it um, as exit tickets rather than getting like little crumpled up pieces of paper that I tend to lose all the time. And yeah, I call it tree tree management. Yes, for sure. So <laughs> I love it. And yeah, I'm just as addicted to post-its and uh, and you could say, yeah, but you could take post-its and there's a great app now that'll sort of I'm like, yeah, but it's yeah, so the tree management afterwards doing that the feedback. Yeah, and then like the, there's no names on it and you're like, well, this kind of looks like so and so's writing, but it could maybe be this person where all of that is now something that we don't have to worry about when we're able to use technology and we can really focus on connecting with our students and giving them that authentic feedback. What's the, I like that. I like, I like the name drop too. Mark Carbone, he's a great guy. Uh, deep in tech too. I've had some great conversations, even like across the table. I've actually, I think I've actually had more seeing him in person kind of bits of conversations than, you know, online. And he's uh, definitely a dude that is just kind of calming to, talk to and I would love to get feedback from him what's the um so when you when you're doing a, a session or you're doing one of the one of the summits and you know typically do, do you find that the, the feedback in itself that despite the ease of the digital you know being able to sort of share it digitally are people still coming up and throwing down that feedback like hey have you considered or hey I got an idea is it and it's one of those ironies of doing something that's soaked in technology because I, you know, going to these summits, there's a whole lot of talking and a whole lot of face-to-face -face time. So do you get more feedback face-to-face -face, or do you find that, you know, it's, I guess, the usable feedback? Where does it, where does it 
where does it become more usable? The stuff that people are coming up and they want to talk about something or where they finally put it to paper? What are you finding? I think my biggest opportunity for feedback, especially from people who are in my sessions um, or utilize some of the resources that I share out, is really when they're like, this is how I see it working in my classroom, where they're able to take Mm -hmm. kind of that knowledge that I've given them and apply it outside. So kind of looking on our um, rubrics, you're like level four, for example, like how do we take what I just shared with you and being able to apply it into their classroom so that they can meet the needs of their students? I like that. I've I've had one of the conversations I've had with um, tech consultants in my school board I've asked, well, first about what was the translation translation like kind of stepping out of the classroom? And and I mean, I might wrap it back to that. Like, it's one thing to sort of consider I'm going to go do this job, but then there's the, the process of leaving. That's kind of a side thing. What I'm curious about, though, and you've kind of touched on it right now, is being outside of, let's say, a formal school setting, it's that staying connected with the kids and staying connected with the teachers, what are those moments like? What moments are you looking for to sort of see that the stuff that you're presenting and talking about and passion, I'll say passionately demonstrating, you know, sitting in the, in your session on the flip grid and using um, also the slides, the uh, Google slides, there was stuff that I soaked in because of the positive energy in the session. Um, I think that's a little thing about going to, you know, weekend summits that, the willingness to sort of open stuff up. But for you, um, where are those moments where you know that, I'm going to call it a consultancy, but the work that you do is connecting with a school? What are those touch points for you? I think it's through the relationships that I'm able to make with those teachers, um, whether it's online and virtually, or whether it's while I'm there face-to-face. But really getting to sit down and taking that time to be like, okay, what, like, what does your class look like? Um, Here's some examples of how I've used this when I was in the classroom or um, our opportunities to go back and to work with students. So whether it's in like a community setting um, through different events or it's through like a student summit or it's popping into kind of a local school and being like, hey, can I just hang out and teach some of your classes today? Um, I think we all try to stay connected to the school and to the students um, so that we can make sure what we're sharing actually makes sense and then building up those relationships with teachers who are in the classroom and um, seeing what they're doing and providing kind of a place where that they can bounce ideas back and forth, that they can collaborate and seeing kind of what sticks. I like that. I like that sort of getting back into the, the classroom. I mean, you know, my context, when I think about how I connected with you, I didn't, I don't remember if there are any students at that particular summit. I know that students are starting to pop up more in the actual summits. Have you noticed that change, you know, happening more vibrantly or are they, because I've actually noticed, I think there might be a separate student summit coming up sometime soon within Ontario. Um, Is it, is it sort of like a, a big game plan to sort of be able to have teachers and students at the same ed tech summits? What do you think? I think Moonshot, that would be awesome that they could all be learning together and bouncing ideas um, back and forth and really that collaboration piece, right? We go into the classroom 
um, not always knowing exactly how that lesson's going to be, no matter how well you plan it. And the students are there as not only the people who are going to be learning about it, but also the people that are going to be able to support it and to kind of take it to that next level. Um, we usually have at the summits and at the events um, student volunteers. And I love when the student volunteers go and pick up their Chromebook or bring their own device. And during the sessions, they pop in and they'll sit down beside some of the teachers and learn and play. And I always learn something new when they're there. And then um, out west and other places, we've also held kind of a student summit. So instead of educators coming in for a day or two days, the students come in for a day and we really work on empowering them on, hey, let's like take a look at some of these accessibility tools that can really help you not only right now writing your grade, like grade nine essay, but also what could help you when you get out into the world or when you go to post-secondary all the way to, hey, let's check out Soundtrap and Pixlr Editor and really start to take our creative skills to that next level. I, I love that idea. I like the word moonshot as well. It's it's one of those things that when I go to weekend conferences or after school conferences, you know, I think about that. I, I look at the composition of the group and I try and imagine the, the benefits of having more more, not less. So even I even kind of go, you know, what would it look like to have parents included as well? I like to build like this big community concept of everyone kind of moving simultaneously, but maybe in different directions. I don't know. It's kind of a weird vision that I have, but it makes me, it makes me also wonder about you as a student. And can, can you think back on any of the, you know, can you pinpoint any of those, those mentor moments that kind of have led you to now you know what were one or two maybe one in particular that you think yeah like that was kind of a turning point that got me to either think about teaching or think about moving into the ed tech frame do you want to could you positively call anyone out of course i can it was grade 12 math at center wellington district high school so i live in fergus so nice and local and it was in my math class and we were taking I don't even know if I could advanced calc or like the calculus class, which advanced functions, that's what it was called way back when. Um, and my teacher, Miss Chilvers, um, we had a student who got injured during a hockey practice, uh, got himself a concussion and he was out for a month and a half. And it was between her and myself who really worked with this student to catch him back up so that he could still pass that course. And it was kind of that moment where she gave me that she empowered me to go ahead and act as that role model and kind of teach him the course that he had missed um, with her assistance. And I was kind of like, oh, this is really cool. I think I could do this. That's cool. That's cool. I like that it I've had I've had other people kind of mention, oh, yeah, I was in junior kindergarten. I'm like, whoa, like that's, you know, you, when you talk to adults and they kind of track back, I haven't had as many people jump on high yeah, school. No, though. that one was There's definitely of, like the one that sticks out. I kind of knew that I wanted to be an educator ever since I was young. Like my sister and I used to play school with our stuffed animals and the chalkboard. But at that point, I was like, no, like this math stuff, like we got to make sure that we're teaching this. That is cool. That is cool. What's, um, so if we're flashing forward, 
moonshotting or just touching a bit of the future. What's um what's coming down the pipe for you that's sending the nerves on edge, giving you that little sort of like a little bit of an itchy sweater. Oh, that's kind of exciting. Not sure. What's coming down the pipe that you feel like uh, is kind of cool and exciting? Um, that's a really good question. I think bigger picture kind of for education in Canada in general, it's reaching those communities that aren't connected yet. Like I can think like if I look at my PLN on Twitter, I have tons of people from Southern Ontario and I have tons of people from Vancouver and Victoria and I have tons of people from um, like Thunder Bay area or Windsor area, but there's so much more of Canada where education is that they're not necessarily on social media or have that connectivity or knowledge sometimes about the collaboration that exists that I think my thing that gets me really excited, but then also nervous because it's like a really big country is being able to see all of those educators connected so that we can not only just use our knowledge, but we can use their knowledge and connect with their experiences. I, I totally, I totally get that. I've, I've often looked at my PLN and I'm more and more looking for the blind spots as in who, who don't I have in there? Like what's, what conversations am I missing out on? And I totally get that scaling issue. Cause then all of a sudden, you know, if you spend a week adding 10 people a day, like all of a sudden, like that, that becomes a really big picture to exist in. And you're right. I've, I've had conversations on here with individuals that aren't on, those are actually really almost, they're, they're interesting conversations to have the people that I approach that aren't on social media, because they really start from a place of how did you notice? How did you, <laughs> you know, like you just go to a conference and you meet someone face to face, they have an email address and you say, Hey, would you like to, you know, follow up and do some collaboration? It's, it's an interesting place because sometimes it's, it's not that easy to make those connections. No. And they have like, everybody's got a story and everybody's got an opportunity um, or some really cool ideas. And if we're able to kind of utilize all of that and bring them to that conversation as well. Um, Whether it is face-to-face or on social media, I think it's, it'll just add benefit to everybody else. I have no idea on how to go about that, but that would be really cool. Well, therein lies the moonshot, right? Exactly. We're going to, we're going to get it. We're going to see where we go. I love the, um, I love that leap to the the final question I'll ask you. So if people are going to want to get back in touch with you, connect with you, chat with you, share with you, where would you like to be found? So I can be found on Twitter at efits underscore edtech because there's a gazillion people out in there in the world with the name Emily Fitzpatrick. (laughs) Or you can reach me through email at emily at edtechteam.com. Fantastic. I'll say for me, it's interesting. Lots of eFitzes, but I realize what a visual learner I am. Because when I think recently, when individuals change their profile picture, that's what rattles me. I'm like, am I, is it still the same person that I'm reaching out to? And I think, I think, no, nah, seriously, like seriously, like, yeah. And I, and it's funny, I don't think of it from the inside out because I change mine every once in a while. Yeah. But that was, that was the thing when I was in early communications with you. I'm like, uh, that profile picture. That's it's different. Is that the person? And I'm questioning my own 
my my own sort of like rational mind. No, and so, it's, it's so true, especially like on Twitter being like such small profile, like picture heads, especially when you're talking back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also kind of the same way when you meet somebody for the first time and you're like, Ooh, I'm pretty sure that's that person. But like <laughs> their picture's too tiny to actually figure out if that's the person. Almost like you want to piece, carry a piece of cardstock with a little circle on it and hold it up so you can look at their face <laughs> at a distance and like, I think it looks like them. Yeah. Exactly. Or have like There's, this little tag of like, this is my Twitter handle. Cause that's how exactly. I, I know how a few I, of my PLN. I'm just like, oh, oh you're like That's a thing. That's a thing. Reen reenact. There you go. Do it at the next ed tech thing. Reenact your Twitter profile picture. I love it. With your house or with your handle somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So you try and, you know, you can have out all the stock dressing hats and, you know, bolas and all that, but see if you can reenact your picture, whatever's, that could be challenging for some people, especially, you know, depending on what they have there. Yeah, especially if they're like up on a mountain somewhere. I know. Eh? Well, <laughs> hey, pantomime, you know, you get three, pa- whatever. Emily, <laughs> I appreciate your time. Thanks for spending, you know, you know, cutting out your day and having a combo. This was fantastic. I really, I, I love that I got more of your story and, and I do, I, I appreciate you being able to sort of, me being able to schedule the time with you. I really do. Hey, well, thank you so much for having me on. I really, um, I'm honored to be here and I love the conversation that we just had and I can't wait to see um, the other, or hear the other conversations that you get to have. Cool. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, enjoy the rest of your week and definitely uh, enjoy. We have a little bit of spring. Do you have any spring-like weather or is it freezing over again? Well, it stopped snowing and it's not freezing (laughs) rain. So maybe spring-like weather? Typical Ontario January then. Right? All four seasons. All combined into 24 hours. No complaining on my end. No complaining. (laughs) All right. Digital high five to you. I'm sure I'll see you in the, uh, the, the Twitter hallways. And once again, thank you for chatting with me. Hey, no problem. Have a great one. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to Chasing Squirrels podcast. You can find other episodes on iTunes and on Podbean. You ever want to connect with me? You can reach me on Twitter at Chris J. Clough, or you can reach out to me, chrisjclough at gmail.com.